Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning. For those of you who are new here today at Crosspoint, we uh, welcome you. We're so glad you could be with us, and you are so welcome here. My name's Rob. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Crosspoint, and uh, we're going to get into uh, the message in just a moment. But before we do that, I, I just wanted to share with you some amazing news that's happened just this last week, uh, and I think it's a milestone for Crosspoint, and I think it's a milestone for a certain individual in our midst, uh, Micah Emerson, who in the past has been our our frontline connections coordinator, uh, working with us very, very part-time at Crosspoint, this week completed his accreditation within the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And so, so he had to go... There's a process in this thing. Uh, he's been studying his, his, his buns off since March, uh, working hard uh, to, to get all of his theology and his Bible knowledge and all of that up to snuff. Uh, there's an interview process. He had his interview this week. And you know what? I, I'm so proud of him because the guys in the interview just said, that guy's great. That's great. <laughs> Flying colors. Flying colors. So what this means is uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, Micah can now bear the title of being a pastor within the Christian Missionary Alliance. He's not yet a reverend. He still has to go through now what's the ordination process, which is even harder um, and uh, to to become a reverend. But he's on his way uh, towards that. Also, we have uh, brought Micah on full-time at Crosspoint. And, yeah. So... uh, for the first time ever, we have a assistant pastor at Crosspoint. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so, so my, my wife gets me back. Uh, it's been eight years, but uh, no. Um, and, and Mike is going to be, he's, he's wearing a number of different hats, and uh, he's just growing into this role. So this is a milestone for Micah. This is a milestone for us at Crosspoint. And we're just so thankful uh, that we were able to do this um, as we continue to grow, as we continue to press into this part of the city uh, with the gospel and the good news about Jesus. Uh, this is something that's very important for us. So thank you for the part that you play in this. Let's, uh, you know, Micah, of course, is going to be taking on a number of new roles. So uh, this is a learning thing for him right now to wear, uh, bearing all these hats. But uh, we're pretty, pretty stoked about it. So way to go, Micah. Proud of you, buddy. Good job. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Uh, okay. Well, if you're just joining us, we, we've been doing a series at Crosspoint called The King's Tale. And The King's Tale is the life story of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Luke. Now, as, as you may know, there are a number of different Gospels uh, in the New Testament. Uh, there are four of them that t- tell the story of Jesus. Luke is one of them. Luke was the good doctor who uh, gathered all of the evidence, a lot of eyewitness evidence, uh, a lot of different people's accounts, and compiled this life story of Jesus that we know today as the Gospel of Luke. And we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke. At this point in the story, we're early on in the ministry of Jesus as an adult, and he's been touring through this region of uh, of Judea that is known as Galilee. Now, Galilee uh, was kind of the sticks of the region. It was kind of the outskirts. It was not part of the central part of Judea, which would have been Jerusalem. And he's, Jesus has been going 
going throughout Galilee, going from town to town, village to village. He's been performing miracles. Uh, he's been teaching people about the kingdom. He's been calling people to become his disciples. And, uh, and so what we're picking up today is one of those stories that's part of Jesus' early Galilean tours. Now, today, uh, we are going to be talking about storms. Storms. And uh, I'm going to get right into the text. But before I do that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And then we're going to jump right in. So if you've got bulletin notes, or if you've got a Bible, or if you've got a digital version of a Bible, you can pull that out. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22 together. And we're going to follow along through this story as we talk about storms. But let's pray together. Um, So let's uh, talk to the Father. Father, thank you that you're a good dad. And thank you that you are for your children. And you're not against us. And you invite us into this story so that it becomes our story. And so today... Uh, We pray that we would just be caught up in what you're doing in our lives, what you are doing in the world today. We ask you by your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to teach us, to bring us into all truth, to nudge us, to rebuke us, to encourage us. And I thank you, God, that uh, your word is alive, it's active. And we pray that that activity would be at work in our hearts. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 8, and my iPad went to sleep, and my iPad is awake. Okay, and we'll start at verse 22. I'll read. You can follow along. Uh, One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, and they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. So uh, Jesus invites his disciples, hey, let's get in a boat. Let's go over to the other side. What's important at this point to understand is that this was Jesus' idea in the first place, okay? So this is going to come up a little bit later on. Uh, now, the, the lake that's being talked about here is known as the Sea of Galilee. It was a good-sized body of water. It's about 21 kilometers long. It's about 10 kilometers wide. Put that in perspective, it's about one-third the size of the greater Edmonton area. Okay, that's how big it was. Now, there were some points on the Sea of Galilee that you could barely even see across. You might see a little bit of mountains on the other side. But for the most part, it was, it was a vast body of water. It would have taken a few hours to get across if they sailed. The Sea of Galilee was about 200 feet deep. Put that in perspective, uh, a, a beginner scuba diver is only allowed to go to about 130 feet. So it was a, it was a pretty deep body of water, pretty dark at the bottom. Now... Uh, The Sea of Galilee was situated next to this big mountain, which was known as Mount Hermon. And sometimes, cold air would rush down off of the mountain. It would hit hit a warm body of air at the foot of the mountain, and then, storms, huge storms. Wind storms, huge squall, large waves over six feet in height would would rock across, uh, across this sea. And the boat they were in ultimately really wasn't designed for major storms. This would have been a small fishing boat, could hold maybe 12 people. Uh, the, the side of the boat was maybe three feet tall at, at, at most, okay? Uh, when they got across the lake, if the wind came in like that, chances are they wouldn't have been sailing anymore. They would have got out the oars and started to row and hope they make it. And of course, at that height with the boat, the water would have been crashing and smashing over the sides of the boat, full of people beginning to sink. Now, even though some of these uh, disciples were experienced fishermen, they were starting to panic. Because, first of all, they knew the limitations of their watercraft. But what's most important is that they actually had this deep-down fear of the churning, 
bottomless sea. See, in, in ancient Middle Eastern culture, uh, the raging sea represented more than just a big mass of water. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, the raging sea represented something that was known as chaos. Chaos was darkness and disorder. Chaos was this threatening, unpredictable force. And the bottomless sea was the, was the abode of chaos. It was the, the place where chaos dwelt. Um, in fact, in the Hebrew scriptures, you, you, you read that God brought order out of chaos. God created something out of nothing. God created the heavens and the earth out of the formless void. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 to 2. Let's just look at it here. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Chaos and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then it says that in verse 3 that God said, let there be light. And then there was light. So God, with a word from his mouth, just by speaking a word, the creator, Elohim, he spoke and he destroyed the forces of chaos. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He made something out of nothing. So by his word, he conquered the formless waste. And this is important because uh, for the Hebrews, the roaring sea uh, continued to represent this unstoppable, unrelenting force of chaos. As, as we see this actually in, in a number of different places in Scripture. So as you read through the Bible, you see this imagery of chaos coming up again and again. So, for example, when uh, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, the Red Sea at that point represented chaos. Um, if you go through the, the book of Job, you see the shattering of Rahab. You see the defeat of mighty Leviathan. You fast forward to the end of the Bible, you have this picture, this image of the dragon. Where did the dragon come up out of? He came up out of the, out of the sea, okay? So you find this all throughout. You read it through the Psalms and through the poetic literature, this powerful force known as chaos. It was this empty, desolate abode that was to be feared. And only the creator could hold it back. Only the creator could defeat it. This is in the minds of the disciples. This is just kind of common knowledge among ancient Middle Eastern peoples. So they feared the water, but they feared chaos. They feared it swallowing them up. They feared sinking into it. So here they are. I mean, they're out in the boat. They're terrified, right, about what's beneath this water and what the water represents. And during this time, where is Jesus? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. I mean, he's sleeping before the incident. He's sleeping after the incident. The Gospel of Mark says that Jesus was actually in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And if you read the wording in the Gospel of Luke, I mean, Jesus wasn't just sleeping. It says that he fell off into sleep. All right? So Jesus crashed. He was out, sawing logs, deep REM asleep, not paying attention. And not only was he doing it before the storm, after the storm came about, Jesus is out cold. All right, let's keep reading the story. Verse 24, it says, The disciples went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Okay, so clearly they're, they're panicking at this point, especially because they used the word master twice. Okay, in, in, in Hebrew literature, that was a way of them being really emphatic and saying, okay, Master, Master, okay? And so when they prayed, we're going to drown, what they're really saying is, how can you eat asleep at a time like this? And the implication of what they're saying to Jesus right now is, Jesus, don't you care? 
Don't you care? As a matter of fact, if you read the story in another gospel, that's the very question they asked Jesus. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? And it's a very human question to ask. And, and I wonder this morning if you've ever asked that question of Jesus when you face the chaos. I mean, maybe you felt like your world's falling apart. You see disorder and confusion all around you. And you find the waves of chaos just kind of crashing against your boat one wave at a time, threatening to pull you under. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you can identify with the psalmist who was threatened by chaos in Psalm 69. And here's what he said. He said, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever cried out to God till your voice is hoarse, where it just feels parched, and yet God seems to be nowhere to be found? You might have even wondered, is Jesus sleeping at a time like this? And the truth is, you're not alone. Many people, uh, some of the greatest saints throughout human history have experienced this. It's what's called the dark night of the soul. When you're going through stuff and the chaos is rocking your boat and you just wonder yourself, where is God? Where is God? How very human of you. Well, let's keep reading. It says, he got up, meaning Jesus, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. All right, so Jesus stepped up, and he stopped the storm. And did you notice in the story what he did? He rebuked the storm. He told the storm to go and take a hike. He essentially stopped the storm with what? With a word from his mouth. And this is exactly why the disciples were afraid. This was a huge deal. Because remember, remember, who has the power over chaos? Only the creator God has the power over chaos. It was the creator God who, with a word from his mouth, said, let there be light. And there was light. He defeated chaos. He created something out of nothing, out of the formless void. And here was this man in the boat with them, who with a word of his mouth, stopped the chaos. And so the disciples were afraid. And the disciples were amazed. And they asked this question. Who is this? Who is this? I mean, they, they couldn't just refer to him as master anymore. I mean, that would probably be a little bit too light for explaining who Jesus was, right? Because master was like a, a term of respect. to be like calling somebody boss or leader or maybe supervisor, right? So they couldn't call him master anymore. What, what were they going to call him? Who is this that's with them? And, and I just love this part of the story because the disciples are struggling with this question. Who is this? Because it's the question that every person ultimately must struggle with. When you begin your discipleship journey, when you begin to try and figure out and investigate who is Jesus, and you're trying to discover uh, what kind of a person he was, what is it so special about Jesus? When you begin your discipleship journey, this is what it's all about. It's about discovery. 
And you will come up against this question again and again and again, trying to figure out who he is. Who is this? And you know what I've discovered being a follower of Jesus for 20 plus years now? I ask that same question again and again. It's maybe a little bit more nuanced, but I'm continuing in my discipleship journey to ask this question about Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? What's he like? And more and more, Jesus reveals himself to the person who's willing to ask that question. Who is this? So even now, at this point, they were, they were discovering yet another piece of the puzzle. Because remember, this is early in the story. They don't, know about the, they don't know about the crucifixion. They don't know about the resurrection. They don't know about Jesus going up into heaven. There's so much that they don't know at this point in the story. They are just on the road to discovery. And all of a sudden, right now, another piece of the puzzle comes in and goes, click. And they go, oh, oh. Who was this that who could command the wind and the waves? Who is this that who could bring order out of chaos? Could it be that the creator, Elohim, Yahweh, is right there with them in the middle of their boat? But you'll notice also that Jesus asked them a question in the story today. He asked them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And essentially what Jesus is doing at this point in the story is he is confronting their fears. He's asking them this question. I mean, did you really think, let's be honest, did you really think that I was going to let you drown out there on the water? Did you really think I was just going to leave you there, walk on the water, find my way back to shore? After all, wasn't Jesus the one who sent them out in the boat in the first place? If Jesus could calm the storm, do you really think that Jesus was surprised by the storm? So why were they so fearful? He's asking them that. Where, where is your faith in all of this? You know, the thing about storms is storms make us afraid. They make us anxious. How very human. We fear the chaos when it's confronting us. And often, I think our, our first instinct, our natural instinct, is to just pray to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, would you just take the storm away? Would you just get it out of here? And you know what? It's perfectly okay to do that. It's perfectly okay to ask Jesus to remove the storms from our lives. It's, it's, it's great for him to confront the chaos that's around us, to rebuke it and turn it into calm. But here's the thing, friends. Sometimes Jesus doesn't calm the storms. Sometimes Jesus wants us to go through the storm because he's right there with us. It's like the story of Daniel's three companions in the book of Daniel. You might be familiar with the story. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar was, created this giant golden idol and he wanted all of the people in his nation, all of his subjects, that when he played a certain rock song, right, they had to bow down to this idol. Everybody, didn't matter who you are, everybody in the nation had to bow down to this idol, right? And Daniel's three companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Right? They said, no way, you know, we're not going to bow down when that music plays. It's not us. Uh, we worship Yahweh. We don't worship idols. There's only one God that we will worship. We shall not pass. Okay, that was their story. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, fine. I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. But before he did that, I love what their response was to him. Okay, here's what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, replied to Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, very polite, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love that response, right? We think that God's going to rescue us, but even if he does not, we're still not going to compromise and try and save ourselves. We will not bow down to your idols. Even if he does not, we will go through the fire. Even if he does not, we will go through the storms. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus calms the storm, and sometimes Jesus wants us to go through the storm because he's right there with us. Now, here's the question. Why doesn't Jesus just calm our storms? Do you ever wonder that? Why, why doesn't God just answer our prayers for help when we send them up to him? And I think it's a question that many of us are going to be uh, confronted with at many times in our lives. And, and the reason for unanswered prayers uh, sometimes are confusing, but at other times, the reasons are very obvious. Um, let me give you some examples this morning. I mean, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because our prayers are just meaningless or inconsequential. Like when I pray daily that God will allow the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to make their way into the Grey Cup, right? Very important. Maybe obvious reasons why they have a better track record than the Edmonton Eskimos. Just saying. Sometimes, sometimes our prayers are contradictory. Like when I'm sitting in the airport praying that my flight will leave early because, you know, it's inconveniencing me. Meanwhile, there's another guy out on the, on the number two trying to get to the airport praying that the plane will leave late. We're bumping into each other. Sometimes our prayers are just selfish, like when I pray that I'll win the lottery, okay? But most times, God doesn't answer because God sees the big picture when I cannot. See, we only see things from a very limited, finite perspective. But God sees everything with a wide-angle lens from his infinite perspective. And he is infinitely good. He is infinitely wise. And he can see things working out in ways that we cannot. Because of this, his reasons remain a mystery. The Scottish theologian P.T. Forsyth once said this. He says, we shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. Sometimes God has us wait because he has something better for us. And he might even allow us to struggle in prayer so that he can draw us into deeper relationship with himself. You ever thought about this? What if, what if, what if going through the storm is actually a gift from God? Maybe what you get beyond the chaos isn't as precious as who you become through the chaos. Have you ever thought about that? Many of you might remember the, uh, the story of the 33 Chilean miners um, just this last little while. And uh, they were trapped in a mine for 69 days. They were 2,000 feet below the Earth's surface. Uh, they had to survive with almost no food, in the dark. Uh, they were slowly starving, completely cut off from the people above. So there was no communication. And so there they were, the chaos threatening there in the deep, dark place, to swallow their hope. 
There's a man named Hector Tobar, and he wrote a book about, uh, about their story. And the book is called In Deep Down Dark. And he tells of how many of the miners, when they looked death in the face, began to just rethink their lives. So, so at one point, they asked a man among them, whose name was Jose Enriquez, and they said to Jose, okay, you seem to be a religious man, and he was a f- devout follower of Jesus. They said to him, could you please, uh, could you please help us? Uh, I wondered if you could, could you pray for everyone among, among the miners? And so Jose, Jose agreed, and he went down to his knees. And when he went down to his knees, other, some of the other miners went down on their knees as well, and they began to pray. And here's what Jose prayed. He says, Lord, we aren't the best man, the best men, but you, would you please have pity on us? That was his starting point. And you know what's interesting? In that, in that deep, dark place, nobody disagreed with him. They all prayed with him. Yes, we acknowledge we are, we are not the best men. But then he got, I mean, he got a little bit more specific after that, which you'd think would make more people a little bit uncomfortable. So he said, well, Victor Segovia knows that he drinks too much. And Victor Zamora, well, he is too quick to anger. And Pedro Cortez, well, he's very, very sad about the way that he's been a poor father to his young daughter. Again, they're in the darkness. Nobody disagreed with him. There was something about the deep down dark. When, when death was, was staring them in the face, that they were able to be transparent and real with them. Probably for the first times in their lives, they were really beginning to experience true fellowship together. So they began meeting every day for one meal. It wasn't much of a meal. Sometimes it was just a spoonful of tuna. Sometimes it was just a sip of water. Sometimes it was nothing. And they would meet together, and Jose or somebody else would, would just lead them in a small little sermon. And then they'd gather together, and they would pray together on their knees. And they would ask God, God, would you please forgive us for all that we've done? And sometimes they would turn towards each other and they would confess their sins to each other, the things that they've done, and they would ask each other for forgiveness. There was something amazing that was happening there in the deep down dark. And it was a result of not all the good things that were happening in their lives. It was the result of the chaos. It was a result of the suffering. And they suffered together there. And that suffering brought them closer to each other and that suffering brought them closer to God. Now, in the meantime, 2,000 feet above the surface, people were frantically trying to save them. This interesting story is that before they began drilling, the, the man who was in charge of the, of the pipe drill, the drilling crew, uh, he, he gathered all the other Chilean drillers around him. He says, we need to pray that Jesus would open this hole for us and would keep everyone safe. And so eight Chilean drill operators joined hands in a circle around this hole and began to pray that they'd make their way through. Now, at the end of the story, we know that the Chilean miners ultimately survived. They made a movie about it. You've heard their stories broadcast. But what we might think is a happy ending is also intermingled with a little bit of sadness. Because the drill eventually did cut through the narrow rock. And once it made its way through the narrow rock, they were able to start putting food through there. And they were also able to ship in iPads so that the Chilean miners who were inside could start hearing from their families and videos on these, on these iPads. But also what crept in was a rumor. And the rumor was that the miners might become rich and famous because of what happened to them in the deep down dark. And what's interesting in the story, and this is what they talk about in the book, is that from that point on, the confessing stopped. The praying stopped. And the hope of being saved and the lure of money and fame began to tear down the deep work in their hearts that was happening there 
in the midst of the chaos. And as it turns out, when they were their worst was when they were actually their best. You see, sometimes in our lives, the chaos, the chaos can actually be a gift. And sometimes Jesus wants us to just trust him in the middle of the chaos. Sometimes Jesus calms the storms. And sometimes Jesus wants us to go through the storm. And it's interesting in the story, Jesus did not abandon his disciples. He sent them out on the lake. And he was with them right there in the boat. And and as it turns out, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the furnace, uh, you remember the story, Nebuchadnezzar looked inside the flames, and what did he see? Let me just read it really quickly. Nebuchadnezzar said this, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Even those three were not alone in the flames. Jesus goes with us through the flames. Jesus goes with us through the flood. And all he asks us is this. Is, is, would, you just, would you just simply trust me? Would you trust me? And the reason why we can trust Jesus through the storms is because he himself passed through the storms for us. Hebrews 13, 12 reminds us, and so Jesus also suffered out this, outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Friend, Jesus suffered on our behalf. He understands suffering. He identifies with us in our suffering. And he went through suffering for our sake. Jesus experienced the greatest of storms outside the city gate of Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha. And the weight of the sins of the entire world were upon him. The storm of rejection, the storm of humiliation, of torture, of suffocation, and ultimately of death. But it says that on the third day, Jesus rose up from the dead, demonstrating his victory over sin and hell and the grave. Jesus experienced the ultimate storm so that you and I would not have to. And here's the best part of the story. Jesus did this for you. He did it for you. He did it for me. And so whatever storm you face in life, you can trust Christ. Jesus, the water walker. Jesus, the storm breaker who commands chaos at a word and defeated our storms with his life. This morning, he is asking you this question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me today, whatever it is you're going through? And this is where I want to leave us this morning. Can we pray together? I'm going to invite the band to come. So Lord, we today, um, we just pause and we pray to you wherever we're at. Whether we're in the storms, Lord, or we're not being threatened by anything at this point. We just want to pause and we want to thank you. You're trustworthy. God, I want to pray for all those today who are experiencing storms, whatever they are. You know them. They know them. God, would they sense that you're with them in the boat. And they are not alone. 
God, would just faith and trust in this moment just well up in their hearts. Thank you, Lord, that uh, no matter what we're going through, that you have the big picture in mind. You see all things. And we can rest in that. You're a good Father. You're a good Lord. You're for us and against, not against us. We thank you. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.